Hey friends, welcome to the Pulpit to Pew podcast in this week's adult Bible study. And this week in our church, we started a brand new series in our adult Bible classes. And we're calling it, well, I don't remember exactly what we're calling it, but we're talking through the book of Exodus. Now, the book of Exodus is 40 chapters or so. We're not going to cover all 40 chapters, but we're going to be catching some important scenes and some important moments in the book of Exodus. And so today I was in Exodus chapter 1 and into a little bit of chapter 2, and we were talking about why Israel needed redemption, because redemption, I'll give you a little sneak peek into what I say later, redemption is the theme of the book of Exodus. So we talked about why did they need redemption and who would be that deliverer. Now at the very end, this is gonna it's gonna end a little bit weird when you get to the end of the episode. I guess I did not know, but I guess there was one of the, what we call in Indiana here stink bug. There was a stink bug that had started on my right foot while I was teaching. Throughout my lesson, he climbed up my leg, around my back, and came up to my shoulder. And as I was getting ready to wrap up the lesson, my wife gets up and comes up and cleans it off of my shoulder. And I noticed the last like few minutes, I was a little bit distracted because I noticed the front row, which happened to be my wife and some friends of mine, were sitting on the front row and they started to kind of laugh and stuff. And I'm like, what is going on? And then finally she got up as I was closing and she got that stink bug off of me. So I'm convinced that the devil sent a demon-possessed stink bug to try to interrupt our class at the very end. So hopefully you can endure that. Thank you for being a friend of the podcast. Thank you for listening. Please be sure to go to bradmcclure.org and sign up to get the newsletters and maybe some new stuff coming that way down the road. Enjoy this week's first lesson on the book of Exodus. Let's take our Bibles, go to Exodus chapter 1. Exodus 1 in this new study, as I've said before, the, I turned on the recording, but we're, gonna, we're not going to cover all 40 chapters. We're going to cover, I don't even know how far we'll get, we'll see. Let's just uh, talk for a second about the book of Exodus, second book in the Bible. It was written by Moses, part of the five books written by him. But uh, if really, if I wanted to take you to chapter 6, verse 6, you would see the theme verse, I would say. I mean, this argument, it's not like God says, this is the theme verse, tell everybody this is the theme verse. But uh, that if I would say the theme verse would be around Exodus 6, 6, when he says, Wherefore say unto the children of Israel, this is God telling him to say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will rid you out of their bondage and will redeem you with a stretched out arm and with great judgments. Anytime I like to teach, I like to give context. And so some of today is setting the context for us to understand what are we getting into in the book of Exodus. Because it's easy for us as teachers to say, all right, open to the book of Exodus. Let's just start teaching on this book. But if you don't know where, how did we get here, why are we in this situation, then it becomes a little bit, um, it, it's not as pleasing to learn, and uh, I don't think we're doing our, our job as a, as a teacher. So, so I want to talk a little bit about how we got here, and I think the first four verses or five verses allow me to set that up. Look at verse 1 of chapter 1, and it says, Now these are the names of the children of Israel which came into Egypt. I'm going to ask you about that possibly in a second, so think about that. 
the children of Israel which came into Egypt, every man and his household came with Jacob, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Iskachar, Zebulon, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher, and all the souls that came out of the loins of Jacob were seventy souls, for Joseph was in Egypt already. Okay, so when we start this book, we, we have found that Israel is in, Israel is a nation. That's where we could start back there. How did Israel become a nation? Well, Israel was the name of, it was named, Jacob was his original name, got changed to Israel back in around Genesis 32. And then Jacob had many children. That's a whole other story in and of itself and where all those came from. But he had many children. Those children had children. And a, and a nation was budded. But at this time, or but earlier, how did Israel get to Egypt? That's a question that we have to start with. And maybe I'll throw it out there real quick to you guys. How did Israel get in Egypt? It was in our reading real quick, but yeah. Go ahead. Uh, were they going for food? They didn't go for food. That happened a few times. Yeah. Well, they, they did in a sense. So let me, let, I, I'm going to answer that yes, actually. I'm going to answer that yes. And then I'm going to come back. So that's a yes, but let's come back to that. Anyone else? How did Israel get to Egypt? Go ahead. Very good. Joseph was there. Now, Joseph got to Egypt in a way not very likely. He got to Egypt because he was sold into slavery by his brothers. So his brothers sold Joseph, and you could go through the whole story right now, insert that into the lesson if you wanted, of Joseph. Would you know the story of Joseph? Maybe some of you. And most of you, Joseph was put in, he was sold as a slave. He uh, sold into slavery by his brothers. They were going to kill him. So he ended up being sold as a slave. But he ended up in Egypt. And because of his interpreting of dreams, he ended up second in command in Egypt. And then they ran in a shortage of food. And the shortage of food, everybody was coming. And, and Joseph had this plan. And everybody was coming to get the food. And then one day, here comes his brothers, 13 years later, the ones that sold him into slavery. When his brothers come, I won't go into the full story, but he sent them back the first time because he wanted to make sure his brother Benjamin was still alive. And then they came back to him a second time for some food. He played some games with them, put that silver cup in their, in their satchel, and then he threatened them. And then he revealed to himself in a very emotional scene, he's crying and he says, guys, I'm your brother Joseph. And they went, uh-oh. <laughs> They're thinking, we just sold this guy into slavery. And now, here he is in front of us. He's the second highest in command and power. We're dead. But he didn't. Instead, he said, is my father alive? And they said, he is. Now, remember, his father was Jacob, whose name got changed to Israel. And now, Israel, or Jacob, is brought to see his son in Egypt. And then the, Joseph introduces him to the king of the time, or Pharaoh, Pharaoh says, hey, bring your whole family down. I'm going to give them a land. Do you remember what the name of the land is? The land of Goshen. I'm going to give them the land of Goshen. It's flowing with milk and a beautiful land. You can have the land of Goshen. And so they got to live and be raised up together in the land of Goshen. So everything seems good. Joseph's in second command. Jacob's there. These 12 brothers, Reuben, all them that I just named off. And they're all just having kids and having kids and having kids. And years have went by. Jacob or Joseph ends up dying, which we see. So that's why he says, let's back up in the reading now, verse 5. It says, And all the souls that came out of the loins of Jacob were 70 souls. 
for Joseph was in Egypt already. He was already there, but he brought them over there. They had this. They were given this land of Goshen, and they just began to live and to, to go on with their life. But then they got older. Jacob had already died. Others began to die. And it says in verse 6, And Joseph died, and all his brethren and that generation. It's just one line there. But they died. But they had lived several years after that. They had many kids and grandkids and great-grandkids. And actually, when we get to Exodus here in just a minute, when we get down to starting in verse number 8 or so, there's going to be about approximately 2 million people in Israel. Yeah. Well, we go from 70 to 2 million. I mean, they were, it's just years have went by. So we, we're thinking in one verse time, years have went by. Joseph has died. And look at what it says in verse, verse 7. Let's start there. And the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly and multiplied and waxed exceeding mighty. And the land was filled with them. I mean, there were Israel, now Israelites. We would call them now Israelites. I don't know if they were going around calling themselves Israelites at the time. But they were just the children of Israel the descendants of Israel living in this land, Goshen, and just multiplying and multiplying and multiplying over the years. And all of a sudden, one day, this new king looks up and says, what is going on over there? There's so many more people over there than we have here. Look at what he says, verse 8. Now, there arose a king over Egypt. This next phrase is important. Which knew not Joseph. Two, there's several thoughts on that, but one, how do you not know Joseph? Well, years have passed, which is just a humble reminder to us that we're really about three generations from being forgotten <laughs> in many ways. I mean, right now we feel like we're pretty important, but we're if the Lord tarries another so many years, we're three generations from... I, go to, I walk at the graveyard four times a week, and I'll go by Samuel McClure's gravestone. Now, because I've done a little bit of research, I know that Samuel McClure is like my great, great, great grandpa who lived here i don't have a clue who he is so i I never hear any stories about that guy you go a little farther his dad's there i think his name was pete or peter or something like that don't know anything about this guy he's my flesh and blood he's my family and he's buried there and i have no idea who this guy is we're a few generations from being forgotten so some of that is hey we look at joseph we're like what an amazing story the dreamer who and they like i don't know who this guy is that's a good thing it came by, though. Yeah, yeah, it is pretty good thing. It is good. The guy came by, is that what you're saying, at the graveside? Yeah. yeah. But here he is. So now all these generations, of they've grown, Israel's grown, all this stuff has happened. But no one really remembers Joseph. Now, they may have heard some stories, but this new king now is like, hey, I know that king back in the day gave this land because I can read in the scrolls that he gave this land to these people. But now they are mightier than we are. And they are a threat to us. So we had to do something about this. Verse 9, he says, And he said unto the people, Behold, the people of the children of Israel are more mightier than we. Come on, let us deal wisely with them, lest they multiply. And it come to pass that when there falleth out any war, they join also our enemies and fight against us. And so get them up out of the land. So it's not a bad strategy if you're looking at it from this guy's perspective. And he's like, man, they, are, they could be a threat to us. Now, he didn't care about their gods. He didn't worship their god. He didn't think through that. But he's got a legit concern as a leader that this is a mighty and thriving now seemingly nation or people, group of people, that if they just got with another nation, he's in trouble. So he's, so the first step to try to rid these people was let's make them our slaves in a sense. So look at what he does starting here 
in uh, verse, let's just go verse 11. Therefore they did set over them taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens. And they built for Pharaoh treasured cities, Epithom and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. And they were grieved because of the children of Israel. And so the first plan was, let's just make their tasks very difficult. Basically, make them our slaves. And that's what he was trying to do. Now, this, we are far away now from that one king that was like, oh, your dad's still alive? Bring him over here too. Take this land of Goshen. Take, hey, take some of these goats. Take some of this. Hey, go start a nation. Now, fast forward to several hundred years, this, this king is like, hey, I want them out of here. He's making them slaves. He's being, he's being, I mean, but that, that, wasn't, that wasn't enough. And so now he says, let's go a little farther in verse 13. And the Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve with vigor, and they made their lives bitter with hard bondage and mortar and brick and all manner of service in the field. And their service wherein they made them serve was with rigor. That didn't work. So verse 15, And the king of Egypt spake unto the Hebrew midwives. You know what a Hebrew midwife was? The one that would help with the delivery of their children. They're having all kinds of children. They're multiplying. And so he spoke with this lady. He's coming. This is step two in his strategy. It says, Of which the name of the one was Shifra, and the name of the other was Puo. And he said unto them, When ye do the office of a midwife to the Hebrew women, and see them upon the stools, if it be a son, then ye shall kill him. But if ye be a daughter, then she shall live. Well, he's taking this whole another step. He's going to basically the nurses of the land. He's going to these midwives and saying, Hey, when you're noticing they're in, they, they're, they're having their baby, if you look and see it's a son, kill him. If it's a daughter, they can live. So you would be okay, all right? She would be able to live. But Nolan, no, he would have to be gone. And uh, my two boys have to be gone. And so, he, the, and so now this was his strategy. If we can take care of the guys, no leaders are going to rise up, not going to be able to as many children. And so that's the strategy it takes. But and I wish I had, I guess I could do whatever I wanted, but I'm not taking the time. But these midwives deserve the reading of this scripture. All right, I think they deserve the reading of the scripture because they are in the scripture. And notice this, it says, but the midwives feared God. What a phrase, these ladies. Now they get, they're absorbed with Moses all around them, but these ladies deserve this reading and respect we're going to give them. It says, they feared God and did not as the king commanded them, but saved the men, children alive. They put their fear of God above their fear of the king. And that's... A lot of men and women um, have done that over the years. Put their, and they've been sawed asunder, Isaiah tells. There've been A lot of things have happened, but these midwives just had a fear of God. And even though they, they knew this was going to come back on them, they wouldn't obey. And so the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said to them, Why have ye done this thing and have saved the men children alive? And the midwives said unto Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not as the Egyptian women, for they are lively and delivered ere the midwives come unto them. Therefore God, so they, they, they said this reason why, one of the things that are going on, and some people want to really get hard on these midwives and say, well, they should have just said right here, because we fear God. Instead they said something about the Egyptian women are more lively and they didn't have time to do this. But here's, look at verse 20. Therefore God dwelt, dealt well with the midwives. That was my answer right there. Everybody said, oh, they should have said this, they should have this. All I know is it says God dealt well with the midwives. That's all I care. 
I don't care what theologian Johnny thinks about these midwives, and they should have been more bold when Johnny would have been crying in a cave somewhere probably. Okay, I don't care about theologian Johnny. What I care about is this. God says he, dwelt, he dealt well with the midwives. God cared for them. God saw their faith. You know what? I'd like to think I would be the most bold in every situation, but I don't think I would be. But they did honor God with this, and God honored them. It says, and the people multiplied and waxed very mighty. And it came to pass, because the midwives feared God, that he made them houses. And Pharaoh charged all his people, saying, Every son, now he's changing it, he's telling everybody, Every son that is born shall be cast into the river, and every daughter ye shall save alive. And so, I, I haven't mentioned anything as by way of outline, but how did we get to this place? We got to this place because Israel got moved to Egypt by way of Joseph, but we got to this place because Israel also multiplied. We got to this place because of a fearful king, and now he's saying we are going to kill every male child. He just makes this announcement. If you have a male child, it's going to die. I haven't told you yet, but the theme of this whole book of Exodus, the theme of this entire book is really redemption. It's God redeeming his people. In Genesis, we see God choosing his people. He said, Israel, you will be my people. But now his people, Israel, is in trouble in the book of Exodus. And you're going to see God redeeming them out of the mess and the burdens that they are in. And it's a good picture. It's really happened. So when I say some words like type and picture, this really happened. But it's a good picture of the redemption that God has for us. And he's going to do for us. Now, I want to stop right there because there was some point I wanted to make and I almost skipped over it. So I'm going to stop before I get into Moses for the last few minutes. There's something called hermeneutics. Hermeneutics is the science of biblical interpretation. When you're interpreting and you're reading in the Bible, you say, why are you telling us that at 10 in the morning? All right, well, it's important. One of the principles in hermeneutics in studying this Bible is the principle of first mention. You'll hear that sometimes, and maybe now it'll be you're being tuned with it. You'll hear preachers say, well, if you look at the principle of first mention, well, that's a term of hermeneutics, first mention. You, and the, the idea is this, that you go back to the first time that word or phrase is used in the Bible, and that's genuinely, generally, I can't talk today, generally a pattern in which it's going to be used throughout the Bible. Well, Egypt, any time you hear a message or someone preach and they talk about Egypt, it's usually a term or a type of the world. And so I was saying to the guys in the class, I said, I'm going to talk a little bit about this because there may be some that when you hear a guy preach down the road and they talk about, well, Egypt is a type of the world, and you're like, what, what is he talking about? Well, here's why we would mention that. Because Egypt, if you use this principle, this first mention, Egypt goes back to even Genesis chapter 12. And remember when Abraham had Lot and they, the famine came and they went down into Egypt. And when they went down into Egypt, bad thing after bad thing after bad thing happened because he went down into Egypt. And he lied about his wife. And, and then later he went down into Egypt a second time and he lied about his wife again. And then Isaac, who was his son, went down to Egypt and he, and he got himself into some trouble. And time after time, Jacob later went down into Egypt and got himself into trouble before this time. There's the one good mention when Egypt allowed Joseph in there and allowed them to come. That's true. But the majority of the time, Egypt is a temptation to God's people. It's a picture of the world. Because in our day today, 
the world can often lure and tempt us as well. We get tempted to go into the things in the world, the mindset of the world, the, the whatever you want to call it, the philosophy of this world. And we're tempted in the same way, just like Abraham when he went down into Egypt, just like Isaac when he went down into Egypt. There seemed to always be in Egypt this pull towards the godly men and women. But every time they got there, it always destroyed. And that's the same way our world is today. There's, we may be sitting here in church today and we're hearing about God and we're thinking we're nodding along with it. We're like, yes, that's true. Tomorrow we go back out into the world and there's that draw and sometimes we find ourselves forgetting about God. Easy, it can happen. There's a draw to this world. Egypt seemed to have that draw. So Egypt always, in the Bible, as you're studying the whole Bible, Egypt usually, generally has a negative connotation. It's usually a picture of the world. And that's what we're going to see here. Israel is doing harm to God's people. And so to get back to where we were, the step three, in a sense, of this harm, step one was just make them slaves. Step two was just have these midwives kind of undercover kill the boys. That didn't work. So now step three is just make this declaration, every male child must die. So now we've got a problem. Chapter 2, verse 1. And there went a man of, of the house of Levi and took a wife, the daughter of Levi. And the woman conceived and bare a son. And when she saw him, that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. Now, without all the background, we may say, okay, why, why, what are you hiding your kid for? Well, she's hiding her kid because he's a boy and he's supposed to die. And she saw that he was a goodly child. If I were to take you, let's, it, you guys might as well. If you get your Bible, go over real quick. Let's, let's, you go to Hebrews 11. I'm going to read you another one. Go to Hebrews 11. Save your spot. But, but let's look at this. I'm going to read you. You're going to hear me reading from Acts 7. In Acts 7, in verse 20, it says, in, in which time Moses was born and was exceeding fair and nourished up in his father's house three months. And when he was cast out, Pharaoh's daughter took him up and nourished him for her own son. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. Now keep that in mind, and I'm going to join you over in Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11 is what chapter? You guys know it? As soon as you hear it, you know it's the chapter of faith. Hall of faith, a lot of people call it. Now if you slide down to verse number 23, it says, By faith Moses when he was born, was hid three months of his parents. Now, Exodus seems to emphasize the mom, Jochebed, if I'm saying her name right, I forgot all of a sudden, I'm not looking at the name, Jochebed, the, it seems to emphasize her role and her faith, but Hebrews makes it clear this was a decision of the husband and the father, Amram and his wife. They decided to hide this child for three months because they saw he was a proper child. So here it says he was a proper child, in Exodus, it said he was a goodly child. In Acts, it says he was an excellent child. Now, I'm going to read some more verses. I'm going to come back to those three phrases because I, I want you to get back to Exodus. But, but notice these next few verses in Hebrews. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And then verse 25, I haven't got there in the reading, but I want you to see this ahead of time. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Have you ever heard that phrase, there's pleasures in sin for a season? It comes from this passage right here. And it's very true. Now, as you go back to Exodus, 
Moses, who's just a baby right now, I haven't got to him, but as he got older, he realized, I'm going to choose to suffer with my people rather than, than sin. Now, let's go back, though, to verse chapter 2, uh, chapter two here now, in verse number 2. She saw that he was a goodly child. Acts said he was an excellent child. And Hebrews said that he was, um, he was goodly, excellent, and he was proper. So what was he? What did that mean? I was kind of researching that a little bit last week. And here's why, or this week, and here's why. All of those Hebrew women that had a baby boy, as far as we know, took their boy, went down to the Nile River, threw him in. Think about that for a second. They took their kid. Their, now, some of you, when they get older, you may think, well, I may. No. <laughs> That's not, I'm kidding. I'm going to take Jeremiah. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I'm trying to get a grip on this. Yeah. The whole purpose of eradicating males was to eliminate that race. Am I correct? Trying to eventually eliminate that race. You cannot. I've worked in that area. Yeah. Uh, a lot. And. They don't like me. They have to put up with me because of the technical things. Mm-hmm. Finally, you'll get past that and get invited into homes and whatever else. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a whole new world. Mm-hmm. I, what I'm trying to get a grip at is why get rid of the males uh, and you can control the population or you can eradicate that if you get rid of the females. I never have understood that. I've been around this before. Yeah. Uh, the, the males today, mm-hmm. the males in that area, especially called the West Bank Palestinians, uh, like American women or English women. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it marches on. I've yeah. I deeply appreciate what you're doing today. Yeah, no, yeah. I, yeah, I don't know exactly what he was thinking in all of that. Why? What part of my gut makes me wonder if this was going to have to be a long-term plan? A lot of people there, and if these kids, once they get to twenty, they're in the military and they're fighting. Yes. And his concern was they're going to be joining other nations to fight. So if I start to weed out these guys now, it's going to help with the population thing. And there's not a threat of them going and joining up. If he's only weeding out the women, they're not going to go fight. They didn't fight back then. It wasn't like our country today. They didn't fight. So these men, they're going to get older. Of course, no two-year-old's not going to fight against you. He's not a threat. He's thinking long-term, though. So I'm wondering is if it's not twofold. One, control population. But two, just start eliminating these men now. So in 20 years, I'm not fighting battles with them as well because the women aren't going to fight. They're just going to marry off. Once or they're going to have kids with other. Once they have kids with someone else, that seed becomes, as, as you know, as you see some of the New Testament. And that's why God would tell the Israelites, "Don't marry another. Don't have kids with." But those were looked down like the Samaritans looked down upon. So I'm wondering. This is just me, my my speculation. It's kind of a twofold. Hey, make sure there's not a military in their base in 20 years. These older ones, these other ones are getting older. They're not going to be a threat to us, and control population. But I'm not sure. It's a good question. Good question, but. Back to where we're saying, though, I'm really concerned about these, these women in Israel that are not taking more of a stance like the midwives, and they're just taking their babies and just throwing them in. And I understand fear, 
But boy, that's what they're doing. But there was one couple, and then they saw, when they saw their child, they said, man, we can't do it. Now, the word goodly and proper and excellent just means good looking. And I don't think the answer is they looked and said, wow, this baby is like a Gerber baby. We've got to keep him. Because I, I don't think that's why, number one, most every, I mean, we're all a little bit kind of babies, aren't we? Because when they first see the first picture, they're all black and blue, and then we're like, eh, I don't know if that kid's... But we all say the same thing. Oh, what a cute little baby. And we're thinking, I don't know. That kid's going to make it. But uh, no, they are cute. Say that about Jimmy. <laughs> well, <laughs> but, but, but she, so some believe, some believe that they had, and, we don't, and it's not recorded, that God had said to them, hey, I'm going to do something with your son. You've got to trust me. Um, but I'm going to do something with your son. Some believe that. We do not know. But something in them said, we've got to buck against this authority, which we don't read of any other Israel woman doing that. There may have been some, but we don't read about it. So they tried to hide him for three months. But if you have a three-month-old screaming their head off and guards going around, these taskmasters going around, you're going to be seen. And so she finally, they didn't know what to do, but they trusted that God would take care of. So in a little bit of a slap in the face to the king, She's, they did something that's like, hey, I'm obeying you, but I'm not obeying you. I'm putting him in the river, but I'm putting him in a little basket as well. And so she's kind of obeying, but she's trusting God. But and so she takes it. She they build this. They daubed it with slime and with pitch, and it says, and they put the child therein and laid him in the the riverbank. And the sister Miriam. Now I haven't talked about Moses' family. He had an older sister Miriam. And then you had a brother Aaron that was three years older than him. So you got Miriam, you got Aaron, who got who had escaped all of this. He must have this had come into play, and he was allowed to live. He's three years old. Then you had Moses. Now, I imagine for Miriam, this had to have been just just devastating. So she's watching as her mom takes and lays Moses down in this, and she's watching just like I mean, I just had kids at the creek again yesterday, and they they are there everywhere. But I imagine her on the banks were just watching as that basket's floating, and she's following it, running around, jumping around, and she's following it. All of a sudden, that thing comes right over to the back door where the princess, to the to, to the place where the princess goes down and she bathes and she takes care of herself, and she sees that baby, and that motherly instinct kicks in. And she thinks, I got, I got to keep this kid. And, and, and behind the scenes, if, I could, if we could zoom out like that Google Earth and we zoom all the way out, if we could zoom past the clouds and into the third heaven, up into heaven, and if we could see God looking down, it's just as if God's just moving that basket right over to the right spot. See, God's in control of all of this. We forget. We're like, wow, that worked out really good. Well, yeah, it worked out really good. Because however God does it in heaven, if he has a joystick or whatever he's doing. I was but, but God was able. I was kidding with a joystick for those non-game players. But God was able to allow this, his deliverer to get right to the place he needed to be. He was able to move into the heart of this princess to take this baby. And then what I think is the icing on the cake is when the dad, the king, Pharaoh, says, sure, you can keep the baby. And I understand I'm skimming over. You can read. Sure, you can keep the baby. He says, but you're going to need someone to nurse this baby. And guess who's over there peeking in and listening in? It's little Miriam. And Miriam says, hey, I know somebody. I know somebody that can watch and nurse the baby. And she goes back and gets her mom and says, baby, Moses, little Moses is alive. And they need somebody to nurse. And can you imagine the tears on that mom as she came and now held her son and she has 
the ability to do that. And she's able to take him. And you know what Amram, the father, and Jochebed, the mother, did? As they raised little Moses, in the, and it's, some say for four to five years is what you would, the term nurse them, whether it be just training them. and But during that time period, as, as Amram and Jochebed, as they're raising that little boy, they're telling him about the God of Israel, the God of Israel the God of Israel, and they're just teaching them about the God of Israel. And so I believe, and we're talking about it because we're like, man, by the time you're like five years old, some people believe by the time they're five years old, I've had some kids, but it's like hard to understand. But it seems like I would say that they, she probably, you know how busy princesses can be in them and they don't, maybe they didn't want to raise the kid. I think she just kind of said to the mom, hey, go ahead and go ahead and keep raising and I think throughout those early years, she had a lot of time to invest in him about God. And so when he was older, and we'll get into this a little bit more next week, he was able to choose. And he said, I'm going to suffer the affliction of my people rather than choose Egypt. Now, he was raised in royalty. Raised in royalty, he was able to uh, learn of all the best ways of the Egyptians. He learned from their teachings. So he had the wisdom of the world, but he had the wisdom as God as well. And that made him just a wonderful man. So, what is it? I was like trying to look over here, so I didn't focus over here. What? I thought she was going to do something else. It's made its journey. It was a stink bug. It crawled from your foot up to your shoulder, across your neck, down your arm. It was getting ready to crawl on your head. I had. Well, I would have got him at that point. All right. Well, on that point, we're going to just pick up next week. The stink bug. That is possessed by the devil has ruined our class. Satan gets him again through the stink bug. All right, let's close the prayer. We'll pick up next week.